Hello and welcome back to another exciting episode of Porcelain Peak, the strange and scary podcast that covers everything from horror to sci-fi and all the hat trick stuff in between. <laughs> I am one of your hosts, Tony Tony Tony, and as always, I am joined by John J.B. Brasher. What up, what up, what up? <laughs> How you doing, man? I'm ready to put this baby to bed as they speak. <laughs> as they speak, huh? As they speak, <laughs> son of a bitch. So, obviously, we're going to do trivia news, but before we jump into that, I just want to give you a little brief of what we're going to be talking about today. It's going to be our Avengers April Phase 3. Yeah. So, we're going to go through seven movies leading up to Endgame, and next week we'll be diving into that. So, like I was saying, before we do that, we got some news. So I think a big one is they released the name and the trailer for the new Star Wars film. So that's big for the old sci-fi front. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, have you watched the trailer yet? I did. Yes. I it didn't do anything for me one way or the other. It's a Star Wars movie. I'm going to see it. I saw all of the prequel trilogy in theaters opening night. I will continue that trend, especially considering these have been much better movies than the prequel trilogy, in my opinion. There are some things that I'm excited about and I'm also like really worried about uh, when it comes to the cap to this trilogy and potentially to the entire nine-part saga. Yeah, I'm really worried to see what they actually do with Palpatine, if that's who we're hearing laughing, which I'm pretty sure everybody who's ever existed who's watched all of the Star Wars movies would agree that it's Palpatine. And endings are hard. Yeah. Beginnings, you know, you can start anything, but ending something right is difficult. Well, and they've handed this one back to JJ. So, I mean, we're in capable hands. I mean, he's proven himself to be a, a powerhouse when it comes to sci-fi, even some horror stuff. Very capable hands. So we'll see what he's capable of doing. I'm sure that he's probably, you know, working hand in hand with previous directors and, you know, maybe even involving some, some past names, uh, one being probably George Lucas. We'll see how it turns out. I'm excited for it. You know, because of the fact that they released Solo so close to The Last Jedi, it's been a little while since we've gotten anything from Star Wars. Uh, there was also a cinematic trailer that was released for uh, a new Star Wars video game that'll be coming out soon, or well, at least as far as we know, soon. Uh, soon in the video game world is a lot longer than it takes to get a movie. Uh, so maybe within like somewhere in 2020, I would expect to see it. Uh, but it's called The Fallen Order. It's supposed to be a story-based game, which I love that concept, but it's EA, so they'll probably find some way to shag the dog on it. Uh, I guess we'll see how that turns out, too. Right, and then Hulu also released the new trailer for their upcoming Mother's Day-themed horror movie for the Into the Dark series, mm. and that's going to be called All That We Destroy, and it looks a little bit futuristic. That sounds a little more serious than some of the most recent ones that I've seen. Yeah, I think we'll have to go and talk more about these. I've been making my way through them, and some of them are hits, and some of them are definite misses. You've been making your way downtown? Yeah. You know? <laughs> uh, yeah, so we definitely will have to discuss a lot of these. I mean, I'm sure that, I mean, just like just like me, I'm sure you're probably itching to get back into a little bit of horror once April is over. I'm definitely ready to jump into something a little spookier. Yeah, the closest thing we've had was The Incredible Hulk, so... <laughs> <laughs> But I think that's going to be it for, yeah. for news this week, at least for now. 
Yeah, if there's anything that we uh, missed for this week, go ahead and shout at us somewhere on the internet. <laughs> we are at Porcelain Peak basically everywhere. Typically, we record and then something will drop the next day, like with this trailer. <laughs> yeah, it'll it'll be a, a text from one way or the other, followed by a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Usually is uh, how that goes. All right, so then let's go ahead and jump into my favorite segment, that trivia. Trivia! Okay, first category, as always, is going to be Monster and Let Me In from 2010. Owen and Abby communicate through the wall using what method? Tap using Morse code? Yes. Okay, yeah. That is correct. Yay. Off to a better start than my shutout loss last week. (laughs) All right, so Monster for you is what is the surname of the doctor with which Dr. Frankenstein is forced to work with in The Bride of Frankenstein? Percival. Very close. It's Pretorius. Never would get that. Moving on. Next category. Gore slash disturbing. Over how many years was Eraserhead filmed? That's from 1977. I'm going to say seven. Close. It was five. Mm, yeah, yeah. I, I knew that it was some form of a tumultuous development, at least as far as that can go in that era. Usually they don't turn out so well if they have to be filmed for that long. In Slither, 2006, the parasite that infects Grant Grant is what kind of creature? An alien. Yeah, extraterrestrial, I'll oh, take okay. it. <laughs> Next category is psychological. On what United Kingdom studio was The Descent from 2005 filmed? Paramount UK? <laughs> Pinewood Studios. <Okay. laughs> I'll have to look into that later. Uh, at the end of The Invisible Man from 1933, what form is the dead Dr. Jack Griffin in? His visible form or invisible? Invisible. His visible form. Yeah. I mean, you'd think that they'd give that question with the assumption that like, oh yeah, it's going to be the weird one. But right. no, it's like, no, he was a regular ass dude when he dude. died. It's <laughs> a regular ass dude. All right, moving on. The paranormal category. What is the name... Of the child adopted by the Thorns in The Omen from 1976. Damien. Yes, that is correct, sir. That's an easy question. Yeah, wait till you get to the next one. Okay, all right. Is that one easier? Is that what you're saying? And the next one. Uh, okay. Uh, in Paranormal Activity 4, uh, Wyatt Nelson is revealed to be what character from Paranormal Activity 2? Her stepdad. I'd have to get a name because I haven't seen the Paranormal Activity uh, in a I don't know. Yeah, fuck it. It's Hunter Ray. I don't remember that. Yeah, I don't remember that at all. Here you go. Another couple throw-ins for you. <laughs> In Friday the 13th from 1980, what character is revealed to be the killer? Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> um, it's going to be Pamela Voorhees, his mother. Yes, the mother of Jason Voorhees. Dog shit question. I mean, it. it's actually fitting if you like compare it to... The segment that we use, like to lead off our trivia segment, like like the little audio clip, right? It's pretty funny. What kind of critical reception did Peeping Tom receive when released in theaters? Positive or negative? I'm gonna say negative. It indeed was negative. Uh, the negative backlash was essentially ended the career of director Michael Powell. All right, last one. International. What was the name of the American remake of Zhuan from 2002? Uh, Zhuan is the ring, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, 
or is fucking it the grudge? so close. It's the grudge. It's the grudge. Damn it. All right. I think uh, Ring is just Ringu. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I knew it's, they're they bleed together to me. They're the same movie. <laughs> <laughs> Don't at me. Uh, Wreck from 2007 makes use of what type of filmmaking style? Found footage. And that's a tie ball game, my friends. Three to three. All right, that's going to conclude trivia. If you like those zany antics and all that fantastic news, then go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you're not missing any episodes ever. Listen to all the episodes, (laughs) even if you haven't watched the content. We're going to start talking about phase three of our Avengers because, again, we are watching these in chronological order, so our phases are a little bit skewed from from what they actually are. So I do believe... That our phase three will open up with the same movie the technical phase three opens up with. And that is Captain America Civil War. Garbage. You're an asshole. <laughs> <clears throat> oh my god, I love this movie. Right, and I feel like they use the word Captain America in the title very loosely. Oh yeah, because this is just as much about Tony Stark as it is about it's Captain like America. It's like Avengers 2.5. Yeah, I, I definitely would agree with that sentiment. I mean, the only reason why they can't call it Avengers is because there's no no Hulk and no Thor. That's right. pretty much it. So then Civil War is our second one directed by the Russo brothers yeah. to... Two of four that we know of. And, I mean, this movie's dope, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I feel like we should just get the boring stuff out of the way, what we didn't like about it, if there was anything. So, for me, I guess just that it's not really a Captain America movie, if it had to be any complaint. I mean, it still revolved around the the Winter Soldier, but it was a Diet Avengers. And, honestly, that's my only complaint about the movie. Yeah. My complaint comes a little bit more from the knowledge base of having read the Civil War comics, which, in my humble opinion, at least as far as the major comic book houses are concerned, is one of the greatest crossover events that's ever existed. It is lower stakes than that particular story. Uh, It's not low stakes. It's definitely not the lowest stakes MCU movie. And like I said, as an MCU movie completely separated from its comic book counterpart, it's practically flawless. But like I said, my biggest opinion is that the stakes are a lot higher and there are more people involved in the Civil War comics. But like I said, that's neither here nor there. I've I've long since learned to enjoy the movies for what they are and to not compare them to their comic book counterparts because they're their own thing and I enjoy them just as much. I think the biggest thing is that they address a lot of the issues that come up with superhero movies about, sure, they saved the world, but at what cost? Yeah, they saved New York, but they destroyed half New York. Sure, they saved Sokovia, but they destroyed half of it. You know what I yeah. mean? And this movie is is the repercussions of them saving stuff. Well, essentially, it's like being out without any kind of a leash or any kind of governing body that they have to answer to. And on one hand, you do see the value of this basically this force that can come out to stop the other unstoppable forces of the universe. Yet on the other hand, you do see this unchecked power that could just all of a sudden just be like, okay, all the fighting is done now bow to us at any time because no government body could stop them. So you have to try to appeal to their reason, you know, and I can see both sides of this one. You know, I definitely think that there are some repercussions and there are some things that need to be taken into account when they attempt to try to save the universe, you know, when they try to stop these 
people and aliens and other crazy stuff from coming in and destroying everything. They need to try to figure out ways to either move them to unpopulated areas that can take a little bit of a beating or, you know, find something else that they can do about it. Um, That's one thing that I do like about the addition of like a character like Dr. Strange, because as you get further into things, there are things that he can do to stop all of the destruction. Like they can open up the mirror dimension and all that other crazy bullshit uh, that we'll get into in about five movies without that. I mean, every time you get more than one costumed vigilante in a room, something gets fucking broken and broken really badly. They don't make light of any of that. Like yeah. they, they address all that and and it's pretty powerful stuff in it and there's repercussions for all that. Even even with law enforcement, you know, there's still repercussions for, for any action that you have against other people. Yeah. And I, I think that's pretty powerful stuff, especially the way that they present it in this movie. And it plays with the idea that we've talked about a little bit too, that things just aren't black and white. You know, there's a lot of gray and Tony feels it and he wants it to be black and white. He wants, Hey, let's sign this shit. And Cap's like, I don't think that's a good idea because who are we working for? Yeah. You know, are they going to pull the strings and how do we know the strings that they're pulling are the right strings? And so it's easy to side with either of them really. Yes. Cause they both make sense. Well, and I love how, how they found ways to make sure that in this particular battle that the right people are on the right sides. If you look at Cap, Cap has every reason to be like, uh, fuck no, I'm not following a governing body. I mean, look at what just fucking happened in Winter Soldier. I mean, he just dealt with this huge governing body that all of a sudden was just a front for Hydra. I mean, of course he's not going to trust the government. Why would he trust the government? The only people he, like, he cares about the people, and that's it. Like, the people who are on top, he cares about them as people, and that's it. You know, whereas with Iron Man, Iron Man is, you know, he's been going through this huge arc, and, you know, for him, he's caused more damage than any of the other heroes by a long shot. I think part of it relates to, I think part of how he feels now relates to how he felt in in the first Iron Man where he didn't realize or didn't really think about the repercussions of all these weapons that he was making and then had to see the aftermath of that. And this is very similar to that. He, he doesn't realize that, yeah, he's doing good now, yeah, but there's repercussions to, to the damage he's done. Like with, with a kid's mom that comes up to him and is like, Hey, yeah, you saved these people, but at what cost? I lost everything. Well, especially if you consider that he created Ultron, like, I mean, Ultron, like, and he, not only did he, he basically co-create Ultron with Bruce Banner, he almost forced Bruce Banner to do it. So the fact that he was this huge driving force behind this thing that almost decimated life itself, it's a pretty big deal. And he feels the weight of that guilt and the weight of those repercussions. Whereas Cap, Cap's usually a bystander, you know, he's there to lead the charge and lead the battle. And for him, he sees the objective. He doesn't see the fallout. I think that some people might have complaints about Cap being stubborn. And I think a case could be made that he is like, well, I got to protect my friend, you know, to do everything he can to save Bucky. Mm -hmm. But I mean, if you watch this movie from a solo perspective, then I feel like he might be able to feel like that. And to an extent, but since we've been watching them all, if you watch the first Avenger and then you watch this, his connection to Bucky is strong. They're yes. best friends. They're inseparable. You know, Bucky took care of him, and now it's his turn to take care of Bucky. 
and you get to see his loss after he deals with Peggy. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's all sad. Yeah. And so Bucky becomes his last connection to who he was, to the person he was before he was frozen. Well, and like I said, on top of that, you also, at the end of Winter Soldier, Bucky had the chance to just follow orders and kill Cap and chooses not to and lets Steve Rogers live. Not only that, but saves him from drowning. So he knows that the old Bucky is in there somewhere. And he's, so he's trying to figure it out. It's very difficult in this. I mean, I know that we're we're running a little long with this one in particular because this is like I said this is probably one of the most discussable movies in the MCU just because it's a literal line in the sand between your favorite superheroes. I mean, that there's a lot to discuss. Why do you like favorite scene and then we'll move on? I mean, is your favorite scene uh the airport scene? No. No? Is I'm, that yours? I wouldn't say that it's my favorite. My favorite is probably the 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 final like sequence uh where where tony bucky and steve are fighting yes yes that's oh what you do my yeah. god so good and it i feel like it summarizes the movie in mm-hmm. that scene and it's brutal and that scene is packed with emotion you know yeah he's my friend tony or something like that right he's like so was i yeah so was i it's like shit dude yeah he killed my you know, like like the, i don't care he killed my mom like um and then you get that call back because it, it at at the heart of it, this movie is supposed to be a Captain America movie. At the very end, as as Bucky's already been dispatched, his arm has already been taken off, and he's knocked out cold, Cap and Iron Man keep fighting back and forth, and Iron Man seems to be kind of getting the upper hand a little bit, and then Cap gets back up and says, you know, he picks his arms up and says, I can do this all day. And it's a throwback to the very first movie in the very beginning and I love that shit. I fucking eat that shit up. <laughs> um, first introductions to Black Panther in this. Oh, yeah, this is the first the first time we get to see Tom Holland as Spider Man. Great scene. The airport scene's good. Yeah, the airport scene is an excellent action sequence. But like I said, it's so much more raw and real at the end. Right. So shields. I'm going five, dude. Yeah, this is a fiver. Yeah, like I said, I, I, the the two Russo Captain Americas are practically flawless. And they, this one definitely could not, you couldn't pull away the Marvel aspect from this and still have an entertaining film, but damn, is it good. So next up on the list, a little more uh, King T'Challa, we get uh, some Black Panther in here. I believe there's actual video evidence of me discussing Black Panther at length. If you go to the Entertainment Vortex, I'm sure it exists somewhere on the internet in in multiple different facets. Uh, But I'll still get into it because, like I said, watching it in in sequential order uh, and also like watching them so close to each other, it definitely gave me a little bit of different perspective uh, because I did feel like at first watching them so far apart, I felt like. T'Challa got more development in Civil War than he got in Black Panther. Uh, but I feel like I flip-flopped on that. I feel like T'Challa's you know, motivations and everything make sense. And you could definitely see Coogler flexing his muscles with the direction and with the writing and with the way that they chose to portray everything. Just because it has that, that feel like uh, Dr. King versus Malcolm X. Like you have somebody who, who wants to help and just needed to be kind of pushed into that direction to show like, oh, I, that's what I want. I want to help people. And this other person who's like, I want to help. I want to help people too. But I understand that you have to do that sometimes by shedding a little blood. Right. 
and and it's new and it's fresh and yeah, it's an origin story mm-hmm. and there is a little bit of predictability to it, but for the most part it's it's a it's an entertaining ride. Yeah, so some of that predictability I guess <laughs> comes toward the end where Killmonger takes over and then Oh no, what happened to T'Challa? I wonder. Yeah. And so it's like, well, you fucking know what happened to T'Challa. He's coming back. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, there's a lot of symbolism in this, right? So yes. we get we get the Underground Railroad, mm. right? And then like you were saying with Martin Luther King and Malcolm X, we get that idea too. And and there's probably more to it. Mm. Is there any other Um like glaring symbolism? Not necessarily, but I love a lot of the language that they use in this. Like the fact that everybody who you know, everybody from Wakanda calls white people uh, colonizers. I fucking love that shit. And I'm a I mean, you guys have all probably seen pictures of me. I am a I am a white bread ass white dude. Uh, but I love that they that that's like something that they do. And uh, I love all of the technology. I love actually getting to see and experience Wakanda. Like it's on the level of Asgard for me. Like it's so beautiful and it's so lush and the way that they utilize the technology is just incredible. Uh, the characters that they that they bring forward in this cuz you get to see a little of the Dormelage in in um in Civil War, but you don't get like the leader and uh uh Denai puts on a great performance as basically the leader of the Dormelage. And like I said, th- there's so many things that you can talk about in this movie that just are fantastic. Like the crux of it all is obviously going to be Michael B. Jordan. Michael B. Jordan's performance in this is outstanding. It's one of the best performances in the MCU, rivaling you know up to the the closest person who's probably been in that territory is probably either going to be like Tom Hiddleston as Loki, who's gotten a lot of opportunities to perform. And one that we'll talk about at the end. Um, right. And and he's another one of those villains that branches off into this gray area that yes. we've been talking about. And and we're going to talk a lot about that toward the end. But he is he a bad guy or is he a, is he a good guy? Or is there a case that can be made for, for both? Yes. And it plays with the idea like they were talking about with Civil War where it's not black and white anymore. Yeah. And it's, it's about perspective. And I think that comes through a lot in this movie in particular. We've been talking about this at length. Like, you don't get much more than black and white in phase one. And you only get a little bit more in the beginnings of phase two. You don't really start to see the gray territory until you get to Age of Ultron, which has its faults, obviously. But there is gray territory there to to take in, like, you know, with... Tony wanting to create this thing so that way there don't have to be costumed char- you know, characters anymore. But that ends up turning on them and it ends up being a mistake. But he had his heart was in the right place. I think that it gets even more gray when you get into Black Panther because he's right. You know, if you look all over the world, you know, people of people of color and, you know, people who, you know, there are people who are considered basically second class citizens in places. And that's terrible. And those people should you know, get signal boosted. They should have their voices heard. They should be, everyone should be equal. And that's the long and the short of it. And this movie, like I said, I loved that it became like a cultural phenomenon. It grossed a dick load of money. Well-deserved. It got nominated for an Oscar for best picture for Christ's sakes. I mean, this is a, this is an excellent movie. And like I said, I'm glad that they, that there was something 
for people of color to be like, oh yeah, this is somebody for my son to look up to. And I don't think that it's necessarily just T'Challa. I think that there are, there are qualities of Eric Stevens that make sense. You know, I could definitely see like if you were somebody who grew up poor in Oakland and then watched and then watched your dad bleed to death. That's that's some fucked up shit, and you're gonna have some fucked up views because of it. Doesn't mean that those views are wrong, you know. Yeah, and I think that that was something that T'Challa picked up from from him, and that's part of the reason why he decided to reach out and open Wakanda to more people. Was it's just a situation where like they were blind to what was happening around them when they knew they could help and they chose not to. I love Killmonger's final line before he basically just, you know, pulls the spear out and it's just like, I'm done. Just bury me in the ocean with the people who jumped from the ships because they knew uh, that death was better than bondage. And I love that line. This is an excellent movie. Like for me, um, like I said, it has some of the formula issues, but I was able to see past those. The performances in this are too fantastic to not, you know, not to praise. I would say if this one isn't a five, it's a 4.5, but I'm leaning more towards five for me. Yeah. I wasn't really able to get past the formula stuff and the predictability. Although the movie looked really good and it was acted very well. I still don't think I'm going to go 3.5 up next is Spider-Man homecoming. The first good Spider-Man movie we've had since arguably Spider-Man two. <laughs> I know. Right. So there are some things like we should have a discussion about the Sam Raimi Spider-Mans at some point in time. That's way far out in the future. We've talked enough about Marvel already. Um, But this movie was something that I was really excited about and also a little worried about. But my worries were completely quelled within like the first like 20 minutes of this movie. Like I was along for the ride. This movie is definitely Spider-Man but also a coming-of-age tale, and I fucking love that shit. I ate it up. Uh, this is another one that I saw in theaters that I reviewed for the for the, for the the channel, and it's just an excellent movie. Like I said, it has all those sweet, like, like 80s coming-of-age tale movie, like, little things about it, like, like building up to get to the dance kind of thing. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> it's almost like a John Hughes movie. Exactly. Which is referenced in this, right? Mm-hmm. Plenty of times. Well, right, and I feel like Marvel has been making that shift to the more lighter-toned movies, Mm -hmm. and I feel like that culminates here in being probably the lightest movie that we get, where it's aimed at teens, and it's pretty lighthearted. Yeah, Yeah, there's heavy stuff happening, but for the most part, this is a pretty fun, less-than-serious movie. Mm -hmm. There's one other one that I would say is rival to that, and we'll talk about that in like three or four movies. But uh, it is very lighthearted, and I love that about this movie. And this is another one where the where the villain has some some reason. Like it's a situation where like he was screwed over by by the government, and so he did what he had to do to feed his family, to help his employees, and to survive. And that's fairly honorable but he goes about it the wrong way you could say um <laughs> i thought keaton's performance though was fantastic yep and i'm very biased so uh, i i'm pretty unbiased like i like i i like michael keaton a lot but i wouldn't say that i'm like one like out there like 100 his biggest fan um i mean i'm a big fan i did just get the beetlejuice soundtrack the, <laughs> so. um 
he's like I said, he's great, and he is very, very, very good um, as Adrian Toomes. And I love all the little things that were sprinkled. This is like this movie was a love letter to people who read the Spider-Man comics, and I feel like that's the biggest difference between this movie, the Raimi movies, and those other two that we won't discuss. Um, well, at least the second one. Yeah. I mean, the first one was all right. Yeah. Uh, this is definitely the best iteration live action of Spider-Man. As far as, as far as perfectly encapsulating the symbiotic relationship between Peter Parker and Spider-Man. Where he's dealing with teenager shit. He's goofy, likable, but goofy. And he has this like quippy like personality as Spider-Man, this confidence that he earns when he puts on the mask. And I feel like that perfectly encapsulates what you would see in the comic books. Um, right. I think, I mean, I think along those lines, that's where Marvel succeeded, where they, they ditched the origin of Spider-Man. Yes. And instead went with what you're saying. And they gave us the origin of Peter Parker as Spider-Man. Yes. To see, to see what that, encompasses to see his growth you know so it becomes this struggle of growing up like you were saying growing up as a teenager and what that means to be a hero and having to decide your lines this has a lot of little references to the comics um you get what should end up being like the first early iteration of the scorpion uh he's just like a random like thug who gets it basically in between the vulture and spider-man and uh, you get a little Easter egg at the end during the end credits with him basically confronting the vulture in jail. Um, so that, like I said, that discussion, like you can see the scorpion sh- tattoo on his neck. Yeah. And that scene too shows that Keaton's not all bad. Yeah. Cause he's like, oh, if I knew who he was, I'd get him myself. Yeah. And it's like, well, you do know who he is. Yeah. That scene was fucking so tense for it being such a lighthearted movie. The scene from the moment when Michael Keaton opens the door is just so tense. And then their little discussion back and forth. Um, and just to kind of see like how quickly it has Peter frazzled, but how intelligent he is in the moment. Because he thinks to leave his phone in the car so that way he can track the phone and figure out where he's going. Um, there's just so, so many little things in here that are just excellent. Um, I love the the back and forth between him and Tony. I love how Tony's kind of taken up being his mentor. I will say that, and we've talked a little bit about it, that this movie outside of the MCU wouldn't hold up. Where I, I know we've talked about how it's kind of like a, a TV show and each one builds on the next. Yeah. This one without the MCU wouldn't work. You know, because we get so much stuff from Civil War. Yeah. And with Tony. And and then it builds toward that. So they would have had to make a lot of adjustments for us to, to get to that point. And without doing the whole origin thing. You know, we didn't need that because he was coming in as part of this group. Yeah. And so, I mean, that being said, it still it works great as a part of the MCU. It just wouldn't hold up, I think, on its own. I do have to applaud it for a specific scene after he's been kind of taken to his lowest point. He he's followed the vulture back to like his base and the vulture has basically bested him and dropped an entire building on top of him. It's another reference to Spider-Man comics. And 
uh, he has to kind of like stoke himself up in order to lift this building off of him and just hearing him cry out just like you can like you can feel like that like I'm just a kid somebody help me please and then when nobody comes to help him he realizes oh I have to help myself here and then he like stokes himself up you know come on Spider-Man come on I like that shit choked me the fuck up choked me up in the theaters choked me up rewatching it I was like I was like like Ali said, as somebody who is a huge fan of Spider-Man, like this was a big deal for me. And I do understand like the like the, it not standing alone so well for maybe somebody who just walks in and is watching a Spider-Man movie. You don't get like the whole Uncle Ben, you know, great power, great responsibility bullshit. But like I said, as an MCU movie, like and as somebody who's a big fan of Marvel, this was right on the nose for me. I don't know how you feel. I want to see. I'm going to be interested in your reaction, but I feel like. Oh, Tom Holland's accent is not good. His American accent, I feel like he's always like, what? What do you mean? What's going on? Like, I feel like he's always trying to defend himself even when he's just talking to people. Oh, hey, Ned. How's it going? Um, I think part of that is that like he's – like I think that's him playing a character. I think that's him being like like a teenager. You know, He's supposed to be a young kid. And having this huge secret, that's how kids act when they have a secret. Like, they act all super defensive and over the top. I mean, it'll be interesting to see how he transitions this uh, Spider-Boy motif into being actual Spider-Man. We'll see if he stays awkward and weird about it, or if he grows up with the role, or will we? (laughs) All right, let's move on. After we give this thing some shields, I'm going to say... Mm, I'm gonna say four. Yeah, I, it's a four or four point five for me. It's not one hundred percent perfect, but I I love it all the same. I believe the next one on the list is uh, surprisingly in this order is Ant Man and the Wasp. Uh, this one uh, at the very end has the reference to Infinity War, but if you hadn't seen Infinity War and you just saw all of a sudden people just drifting into dust, you'd be like, "What the fuck's going on here?" Like it does, like it doesn't have as much weight without seeing Infinity War first, um, but it kind of gives it a little more mystery, which I wasn't expecting. That's in the end credits, though, isn't it? It is in the end credits. Uh, the actual movie itself um, is interesting. Uh, I feel like they gave Paul Rudd a little more room to be funny in this one, which I appreciated. I still like Michael Pena. Still don't like the other two, except for the the I don't whatever the name for like ghost in Russian is. Uh, when he keeps like referencing those and like it cuts away to that story, like I, those are funny. Um, I love Paul Rudd in this. Um, it's essentially the same movie. Yeah, it, there's not a whole lot that's different. It loses kind of the heist element, um, and more just becomes like you know just like people bickering over technology. Paul Rudd's good. Um, Evangeline Lilly's good. Mm-hmm. I mean, all the characters that you liked in the first one are just as good in this one, but it doesn't really boost it in any way yeah. i mean i like the mystery with with what's going on with uh michelle's pfeiffer my michelle pfeiffer's character that was interesting and yeah. i mean i like michelle pfeiffer since, yeah definitely yeah uh, since batman she's my favorite Catwoman. uh walton goggins was pretty decent as kind of like a low-level villain in this as well the whole concept of ghost was a little weird for me uh i understand like how they like explained it scientifically or whatever but like she, the character is okay um, but like, it's another one of those characters that's super gray. Like, it, like I said, everything in phase three is just gray area, gray area, gray area. It's someone who you understand their motivations and kind of what they're stuck with. Uh, but 
I think it has to do with the backlash they got from having boring villains. Yeah. And now they have villains with depth. Yeah. There's definitely more depth than I would say somebody like Red Skull. Yeah. Uh, but Or it, even like the villain from Doctor Strange. I mean, we'll get there when we get yeah, there. Yeah, we'll but. get... But I don't think that that's necessarily the villain of Doctor Strange, so we'll have a little interesting discussion here in about <laughs> a few minutes. Um, but yeah, Ant-Man and the Wasp, it's a decent movie. I love when they go to, like, when they go subatomic. I love that shit. It looks so cool. But yeah, o- overall, like I said, there there are some definite flaws to this one. Um, but I feel like just like Ant-Man, it's, it's a little underrated. It's not, it's not the best movie in the MCU, but it's not the worst by a long shot. Yeah. Pretty middling for me. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't really have much else to say about it. <laughs> yeah. I don't really either. Like I said, it's not something that without that end credit scene for me, yeah. it's not something that would have been like 100% the most memorable movie, but I love Paul Rudd and I love his portrayal of Ant-Man. If you liked the first one, you would like this one. Yeah. Uh, for me, I'm going to say it's probably a 3.5 shields. I'm going to go three. So then next up on the docket, John. I believe we are going to get into that Doctor Strange discussion that we were just alluding to. It's very strange to think that those take place at the same time, essentially. Essentially, yeah. Yeah, Because Doctor Strange, as you can tell by the end credit sequence, is a direct lead-in to Thor Ragnarok. And that's the reason why they've paired them on this list. So for me, uh, Doctor Strange is the most visually stunning out of all of these movies. Just because the way that they that they've kind of created like this like multi dimensional kind of feel, it just it's it's edited and created so well with CGI. Like I, I love the effects that they use in this. I like the character of Stephen Strange. I like that it's another character that has an arc, kind of like with with uh, with Tony, like learning that it's not all about just being the best at something. Sometimes you have to sort sacrifice yourself for it. And I like that motif. It carries on really well through this movie. Um, right. And I feel like that's where this movie shines is the the beginning. Because, right, so we have this guy and he's essentially a Tony Stark-like character. He's got Just this, in the medical field. Right. He's got this huge arrogance about him. Thinks he's hot shit. And he, I mean, he is. Yeah. But then he gets destroyed, right? And almost by his own hubris. Yeah, and so then we get to see his struggle both internally and externally where he doesn't know who he is anymore or what to do. And it's so intense and so interesting. That car wreck, obviously super far-fetched. Yeah. But it gives you context for what's going on and and then you get to see his struggle and it's so interesting. And if they would have just made a character piece about him struggling and like getting back on his feet, I would have been into that that movie. I mean, I, I feel like we have movies similar to that. And that's why I was like, if you watch the beginning of this movie, like, man, this is this is good. Mm-hmm. And you see that. You see him fight with himself and, and where he's going. And then when he gets to, what is it, Carmitage? Yeah. It, that's where it kind of starts to fall off for me. Once he gets a grasp of his power, the movie just kind of goes into the Marvel formula. So for me, I like I said, I don't have too many issues with the Marvel formula. But I feel like this has some interesting components to it that that kept me involved in the movie um this does up to this point we'd only gotten two thor movies and those were like two of the worst like five movies in the entire franchise uh so this was kind of a redo at what you could potentially do with fantasy concepts on earth and i felt like this did it a shit ton better than those other movies did and like i said i i love benedict cumberbatch i felt like he performed 
really well in this, and I like the character of Stephen Strange. I feel like he has a little more playing value in the other movies that he's in with a smaller role. Um, but I do like his character, and I like that he's quippy, and I like that he's smart, and that he basically is just a guy who has a thirst for knowledge. And that, like I said, that's something that resonates well with me. I don't feel like Cassilius is the true villain of this. I feel like Cassilius is a like, like a prophet. He is like the if you're comparing villains being like Loki or being like Thanos, if you're comparing it to Avengers, um, I feel like he is the Loki. And Dormammu is the Thanos, the real villain. I mean, I get what you're saying, right? It's like he's this other entity that's trying to do more damage than anybody else. But we don't really get any time with him except for the goofy, strange going over and over and over again scene. So I this is one where being someone who's read the comics, uh, I feel like that scene was just me watching him outsmart one of the most dangerous characters in the MCU. Because we'll get more Dormammu for sure later down the line. 100% it will happen. Uh, But the fact that he used the resources that he had and didn't try to go in guns blazing and have this crazy, like, all-out brawl and kind of, like, similar to how Guardians, like, subjugated the, the big CGI slugfest at the end of the movie... I feel like uh, Doctor Strange did that as well, and that's what another thing that I really enjoyed. He did it with his intelligence, which is his biggest weapon, not with magical powers, basically. That scene where he's rewinding everything in, is it downtown... Like... Tokyo, maybe? or Something along those lines, yeah. I don't remember, but that scene's really cool. Mm-hmm. And this movie doesn't lack on the visuals. In fact, I wanted more weird mc escher shit to yeah. go on you know what i mean but i will say that this one falls into the misplaced comedy a lot there were scenes where i was like why are you making a joke right now you know especially the first scene was it is it Cornelius? how do you say his name cornelius Cassilius. yeah that scene when he first meets Cassilius, that you know it's building up and we're about to see this big battle and then they finally meet and then what happens his cape drags him off I was like, oh my god, why? They were just about to do this battle. We were about to see some fight. And uh, now, here we go. Undercut it with a joke. So, I don't feel the same, in this, at least in this particular instance. Sometimes I feel like you're right on. This time I feel like you're wrong. Um, but it's your opinion. You're allowed to ha- think how you want. Um, but in this particular instance, I think that was pushing the battle off to a later time. And I think that that was necessary because Stephen Strange could not have won that fight at all. He would right, have been. But they he would have been. Make his cape like, like come on, like someone pulling a cane and taking you off the stage. It was. It was silly. But I think that if, if they had let it play out, then the movie would have been over at that point. They would have killed Stephen Strange, and that would have been the long and the short of it. it would have been over. Yeah, but that doesn't mean it was good writing. <laughs> and they do that. I mean, a bunch like the Beyonce stuff and all that shit. I'm like eh, this movie didn't need that. It it started off so serious and so intense and interesting, and then it was like, oh, here's some jokes. Here's some jokes to undercut all the shit we just built up to. It didn't work for me. Yeah, like I said this one is still it's still a fairly middling movie for me, but I love what it kind of introduced. It, it did the same thing for me that kind like sort of that was done with Guardians, kind of introducing the weird factor that comes in with the MCU. So for me, this one's probably a three point five. Yeah, I'm gonna go three. Because it does fall into a lot of the formula stuff, but I do like the visuals a lot. Yeah. 
So the next one up on the list is your last one before we get to Infinity War. And that one is Thor Ragnarok. The Thor franchise needed something different. Mm -hmm. And I think hiring Taika Waititi was exactly the right move because he changes basically everything. Mm -hmm. And this movie is fantastic. Yeah. Uh, This movie is definitely the most comedic release to date. Uh, It is... It is... Over-the-top hilarious. Even subtle jokes that ride out under the surface are just absolutely hysterical. There are things you'll miss the first, like, 15 times you watch this movie. <laughs> and you'll pick up little stuff here and there. And you'll pick up different stuff than your friends do. Um, the visuals in this movie are great. And it does what I wanted them to do from the beginning. It leaves Earth alone for the most part. The only reason they go to Earth and they meet up with Doctor Strange is to find... Uh, where Loki basically stashed away um, Odin. Odin. And they don't find him where he's supposed to be at, so they go to Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange helps them find Odin. And then there's a really heartfelt moment, and Odin basically is like, I'm not coming home with you. This is where I die. And Super good scene. Yeah, it's a very good scene. Not undercoat with anything silly. (laughs) And then, so he dies. And then... Right before, he's like, oh, by the way, you have a sister and she's fucked up. And then as soon as he dies, she comes out looking for them. Uh, Thor tries to go in headlong like he does with literally everything. And uh, Mjolnir is a fatality, uh, completely destroyed because Hela has handled Mjolnir before. And then they're basically, they get into a, a brawl that Hela is winning handily. And they get pushed out of the Bifrost. And they fall onto this weird, like, trash planet. Uh, And this is where things kind of bisect. And this is another thing that I think that is done way better in this movie in capable hands than was done with the first two Thor movies. Is it handles two storylines in a very different way. You get this almost very comedic slapstick type stuff from what's happening on the trash planet with Thor and Loki as compared to getting this... Very serious, like, slaughter that's going on in Asgard with Hela. And you get to kind of see them both rise up and go through their trials and tribulations on their own sides. I feel like Hela's probably the most cut-and-dry black-and-white villain in Phase 3. I don't feel like there's a lot of gray area. I mean, obviously, being banished is not cool. But either way, that still doesn't mean that you get to just come back and slaughter people. Like, Third Kingdom. <laughs> um, I thought she was great though yeah I did too like I'm not saying that her being black and white is a bad thing I, I loved Kate Blanchett in this role I definitely think she's better than Mads Mikkelsen yeah I would agree with that and, and he was pretty black and white mm. he was just trying to get more power or whatever his shit was but yeah I thought she was really good I didn't like how they kept having her brush her horns back to become her hair <laughs> yeah <laughs> they do it a bunch of times and I was like yeah it's not cool <laughs> let it go <laughs> But yeah, she was she was great. I thought that character was really great and pretty scary because she's taking on these gods, and I feel like it's the first time we really see Thor kind of scared. Yeah, and he doesn't know what to do, and it does contrast very well with what's going on on Jeff Goldblum's planet, who is fucking hilarious in this yes. movie. Just Goldblum being full Goldblum. Yeah, it was like I feel like they just said, "Hey, Jeff, just keep doing your thing, buddy," <laughs> and he was like, or whatever, like yeah. <laughs> The re- 
quote unquote reunion of Thorin and uh and the Hulk in this is absolutely fantastic. That whole battle sequence is great. Uh watching Loki up in the stands be like, Yes, that's how it feels. I I felt it was a great callback to the Avengers. And I like the comedic take that this movie that this movie goes in. I like that direction a lot. I do feel like they made the Hulk kind of a huge joke and that then continues with Infinity War. Mm -hmm. And I don't necessarily like that aspect of it. I don't want him to be this like goofball character and they almost kind of make him like a like a dope, you know? I mean he kind of is though. Bruce Banner is the intelligence. Right. That's the that's the whole concept. And I feel like But they don't have to make him stu I don't know. It's just some of the stuff is frustrating, especially with the direction they go from here with Infinity War. I'm just like, I want to see the Hulk smash it. That's his whole thing. It's his catchphrase. Well, but I think that you do get to see him smash plenty of things in Thor Ragnarok. Right. Um, I feel like we'll, we will completely 100% separate these until we talk about Infinity War. Because I feel like I feel like they played the Hulk perfectly in Infinity War. But we'll talk about that in a minute. I love that this got to involve some of the Planet Hulk concept. Which you don't really get an opportunity to because at this point they've said, oh, Incredible Hulk didn't really work that well for most people. We'll just go ahead and ditch Hulk as a concept that's not part of a, an overlying story, period. Which, for me, is unfortunate. Some of the Hulk stories are the best stories that have ever been told in the in like Marvel Comics. And to have them just kind of push that stuff to the wayside, I don't like that. So if if it takes him being like center stage with Thor... I'm cool with that. Man, this is so funny, though. The right. visuals are super cool. Uh, I know you and I both fell in love with Korg. Korg is an incredible character, also played by Taika Waititi. So Taika Waititi is just putting on multiple hats and just knocking it out of the park every time. Um, if you missed it, uh, I think the funniest line in the MCU, like, bar none, like, far and away, was, like, the most, like, undercut line that was, like, hid under in the mix like it wasn't very loudly spoken it was something that was meant to just kind of brush over and keep going i missed it the first time i watched it me too um the interaction between uh between thor and korg before he goes out onto the battlefield and he's lamenting losing mjolnir and uh he's like he's like oh yeah i would spin it really really fast and then it would pull me off and then uh, and then korg interrupts him and is like oh my god you have a pull <laughs> it was the funniest shit that's so funny. Yeah, after after hearing about it, like it like anytime anybody says, Oh my god, I can't help but think, you haven't pulled you off. Like, <laughs> and just ground. like I have to stop myself from like choking. Like it pulled me off the ground. Yeah, it pulled me off the ground. <laughs> uh, absolutely hilarious. I wanna find a way to work it. Oh my god, uh, you haven't pulled you off into the show somehow. I don't know if it'll <laughs> I don't know if it'll work, but I wanna try to make it work. <laughs> Man, we'll see. It's probably one of the best movies. It's definitely the best Thor movie, without oh, a fucking doubt. Dude. Like, I think you could probably add the two previous Thor movie scores up together, and they wouldn't equal this one. <laughs> if I had to give it a score, I would say probably four. I'm saying 4.5. Yeah, four. Like I said, I, I thoroughly enjoyed the comedy in this. I felt like the visual style was really cool, and they fucking ditched that bullshit-ass hump on the back of the Thor franchise that is Earth. <laughs> and and that scene when Thor comes down, he's all, like, electrified. Yeah. Super badass, dude. Like, Whoa, Thor's cool? Yeah. <laughs> all right, I mean, let's get, let's get to it, because we're probably going to talk way fucking too long about this next movie. Yeah, agreed and seconded. Um, 
Avengers Infinity War. Trash. You're an asshole. <laughs> um, I'm just going to say that for every movie now. <laughs> I made the mistake of putting this movie off. Oh my god. <laughs> you movie put you off? <laughs> um, I waited basically until right before we recorded this to watch this movie again. And I knew it was going to be like an emotional ride for me. I watched this movie, I think, six or seven times in the theaters. Holy and shit. Like, and this, like I said, this was, this was a huge deal for me. And it was so emotionally draining every time, and I loved it. And so I knew that like there were a few times previously in some of these other movies where I got a little choked up and where like, you know, the movie was really affecting me. And I knew that this movie was going to be extra hard this time to watch, knowing that Endgame is right around the corner. And I was not disappointed with my emotions. I bawled like a baby off and on for like the last hour and 15 of this movie. There are so many little things that you that you take for granted in this movie if you watch it by itself. Not that you haven't seen the MCU, but you watch it by itself, completely separated away from the other movies in the franchise. Having watched every other movie in the MCU up to this point and watched this movie, I appreciate this movie on such a deeper level. The emotional payoffs that you get with Tony Stark and him you know, basically trying to bring his arc to a close, you know, and the back and forth arguments between him and and Pepper in the beginning and her basically being like, Hey, like we're trying to start a life here together and you keep putting yourself in a line of fire. Why do you keep doing that? And then he goes off and does it again. And like having him like deal with the repercussions of that. And also like be guilty about that. The interactions between all of the characters finally culminating together, bringing the Guardians into the fold and having them interact with Thor and getting to see Thor at his lowest point. I mean, we start off within the first few minutes by killing two of the biggest characters in the Thor franchise. Fucking hell of a way to start off a movie, dude. Yeah. And that really is smart filmmaking because it sets you up. Because if that's what he can do with a couple stones... What the fuck is he going to do when he gets the rest? Well, that's a stone. He hasn't even gotten the second stone when he beats the shit out of the Hulk to the point where he won't even come out anymore. Right. And I think that that's part of the reason why I feel like they did the Hulk well in this. And I know that you don't agree with me. I hate it. It was like Bruce the, Banner had erectile dysfunction. <laughs> I, like, Okay, I can see you not liking the joke because they make it a joke and that's fine. But like... The Hulk is its own person at this point. They are 100% two separate people now. And we've dealt with that because of Thor Ragnarok. As far as that goes, they share this one body and they have this con- this consciousness war that goes back and forth. And because he's never been beaten this way so at any point in time in the entire franchise, the Hulk is an indestructible force and he is bested in a matter of seconds by Thanos. Thanos toys with him and still comes away with the upper hand by a long shot. The fact that the Hulk doesn't want anything to do with it is perfectly understandable. He's never been beaten before. I mean, it's kind of like comparing that to like a boxer going on an undefeated streak for a really long time and then having an up-and-comer destroy them. And not even like a close fight or like a mistake. It was just... 
he was bested by someone who was better. Yeah, but Thanos isn't even around for the rest of the movie to the Hulk. So, like, why would, wouldn't you want to get back on your feet? I just think that they didn't want to put the Hulk in, and I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't like it. It didn't make any sense to me because if you put the Hulk in that movie, what changes? I think that it gives a little more time to Bruce Banner. No one gives a shit about Bruce Banner. <laughs> I give a shit about Bruce Banner because I read the comics. <laughs> okay, well, that's not, we're not talking about the comics or a comparison. We're talking about this movie as a film. I feel like Bruce Banner is a good character, and I feel like having him involved... In the Iron Monger get... suit. He's still doing the same thing. He's just in a fucking suit. So why not just have him do that shit as the Hulk? I, I still think that 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 going against him in the Hulkbuster armor, I feel like you get the benefit of him like kind of learning how to be a badass and also be Bruce Banner at the same time. He just... He just made shitty jokes and then got beat in that suit. I don't know. I just that like if you take him out of the movie, it's still the same movie, all of it, I mean, completely. I don't agree, but I can I can see your point. So leaving the Hulk aside, we lose Loki and Heimdall real quick. You see Thor at his lowest point. You know he's lost everything. The only thing he has left is the Avengers. He doesn't have Jane anymore. We don't know what happened to fucking Siv or Valkyrie. So all of his ladies are gone. Everyone from Oscar is dead, right? Well, we do, we don't know about Siv or Valkyrie because Siv wasn't even a part of Thor Ragnarok, so we don't know if she was on board or anything. We know that the uh, the three dickheads, whatever the hell their names are, um, that they all bit the bullet in Thor Ragnarok. So dealing with that, um, like I said, he at this point is alone, and seeing the interaction between him and Rocket, and having Rocket be like. Like, hey, like, I understand that you're, like, at your last legs here, but, like, I do have stuff to lose here. And then you have to watch him lose it. Yeah, that shit with Thor and Rocket is pretty emotional. Yeah. For a while there, and it's and it's, it's good. With the Guardians, I feel like Star-Lord and Rocket go back and forth, kind of being the emotional centerpiece of them. I feel like they both have the strongest emotional reactions, and I feel like they they show that in Infinity War. Um, I could have used another 30 minutes in this movie. I know that they're going for the three hour mark with Endgame. I could have used the 30 minutes and watching Thanos decimate Nova. Watching him. I think that they could have cut some shit and added more stuff to give you more time with stuff that you cared about. Because, I mean, I I didn't love every scene. They could have trimmed it down, trimmed some of the fat. This one does do a lot of the comedic stuff in the ill-timed places too. For me, anyway, they're like making jokes on the battlefield in Wakanda, and that shit hell irritated me because I was like, "What? They're, you're f- literally fighting for the fate of the universe right now." And you're like, "Hey, cracker jokes, Steve Rogers." I was like, "Ah, it's not working for me." And I, I mean, even in the theater I was in, people just weren't feeling it. So I disagree. I feel like, like in a situation like that, I feel like people do joke. I feel like when there is tension, people do still th- do things to try to keep themselves focused. And sometimes that's that involves lighthearted humor and fun. And it's the MCU. You know what you're getting yourself into. I don't feel like you go into this movie expecting it to 100% stick to like, oh, this is the one time we're going to be serious the whole time. That's not going to happen. I think the whole time, but you're in a battle for the fate of the universe. You think that you'd be focused on that and not like being silly there's times when it works you know 
at the beginning when uh, you're embarrassing me in front of the wizards. That was funny. Yeah. And that was fine there because that's Tony being Tony. But there's a lot of scenes where I was like, not, not right now. Like, let's feel this. Because this movie is supposed to be emotional and you're supposed to feel it. And I want to feel it. Let me feel it. Let me get fucked up. Let me cry for, yeah. you know, the last hour or whatever. And then that shit pulls you out. And it's like, no, let, like, let's do it. Let's get fucked up. I don't know. I'm really hoping they kill some people off in the next one. Um, I liked having the breaks, having because, like I said, otherwise I would just be a blubbering mess for an hour, and I don't want that. I do want to have the in between times where I can laugh at something, or enjoy like a quick one liner or whatever. Like I said, because it's like the emotional culminations that you get once the snap takes place are heartbreaking. Um, watching. As basically every person who stays alive has to give up the thing that they care about most. You watch Steve Rogers lose Bucky first, right off the bat. Been doing all this work throughout all the Captain America movies to try to save Bucky's life and get him back on track. And he didn't want to be a part of that fight, but he comes in to do it anyway, and you lose him. That's right off the bat, the first one. And then you watch Rocket lose Groot. You see all these other people disappear, and then you get... What happens on Titan. And that shit wrecked my house. Every single time I watched the movie. Like it went from like little tears. To fucking ugly crying. Super fast. Like you slowly watch everybody go away. And then you lose Peter Parker. Tom Holland puts in the best performance. Of the back half of that movie. And plays it perfectly as a teenager would. Like the I don't feel so good. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. Like, and it was completely improvised. Wasn't written down. The Russos just said, Hey, do something. I don't care what you do. We'll just keep the cameras rolling. And that sequence, you could see the emotion on, on Robert Downey Jr.'s face. Like they like perfectly encapsulated what that last kind of last breath thing feels like. And just losing him in such a dramatic fashion and watching as like all of Tony's worst nightmares have come to fruition. And now he's stranded on a planet with some weird blue chick. It, it definitely packs that emotional punch. It's hard a little bit to get behind some of it because, you know, I mean, we don't know to the exact ex- extent, but we know some of that's going to get reversed. And so for me, that, that kind of lessens it, you know, especially because we know Peter Parker's coming back. Yeah. And so that's hard. I, I I love what they did with Loki, and I hope he stays dead because that shit hits you, you mm-hmm. know. And I want again, I want to feel, I want to feel these things. That's what these movies are supposed to be about—to make you feel something. And then Gamora dying was fucking stupid emotional, right? Yeah. And so I really hope that she stays dead to some extent because I I don't want them to negate what all the work they did. It's kind of what they did with Ragnarok where they negated everything that happened at the end of Ragnarok and the beginning of this movie. Yeah. Oh, you did all that work to save your people. Now they're dead. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so I don't want them to, to continue that. I, I want to feel some of these deaths. I know people are going to come back and that's inevitable and that's fine because like you were saying, when you first watch it, that emotional punch is so heavy that even knowing that you still feel it, but it does pull you out to a little bit. And I just hope that they continue to put something at stake because mm. I feel like this one, you really feel like shit's at stake. Yeah. And it is because you don't know what's going to happen and we don't know for sure what's going to happen. And so I, I, I like that there's some kind of mystery and you don't know that they're going to win and they actually lose in this, Yes, which is cool. Obviously it's part one of 
two. These are very much together. They were originally titled Infinity War one and Infinity War two. Yeah. So they're very closely related, but just to have them lose was intense. Yeah. And Uh, this is the first instance, like I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it a little bit. Like this is the first instance where they're set up to fail and they do. And at the end, it doesn't say, oh, Thor will return. The Avengers will return. It's a, it straight up says the villain will return. And we, I mean, we've gone through this whole discussion and not talked about Thanos. I mean, some people say he's the hero of the story. Yes. What he wants to do isn't vindictive in any way. Yes. He watched his planet get destroyed, and so he was saving the universe. And I think that a case can be made that he did the right thing. Yeah. It's, like I said, it's tough and you watch him give up the few things that he actually cares about but he knows that he has a more a more important mission that he has to complete and having him sit down at the end you know destroyed gauntlet in hand and just you know sit down and watch the sunset like he wanted to you almost kind of root for it and like i said that that scene and then cutting to black and then at the end it's saying thanos will return like i said it was like a system shock as compared to the endings of anything else in the MCU. A lot of build up. I don't think it was disappointing in any way. I know I heard some complaints that it felt a little bit disjointed because there was so much going on. I think that's fair. I didn't really feel like that too often, mm-hmm. but I think I could see how people would get like, because distracted. there's so much going on. Yeah. We have at least three or four different storylines going at the same time. That being said, I think the Russos handled it pretty well and I'll be interested to see how they continue that process. Um, so I'm ready for Endgame. Uh, for me, this one was a five. I feel like you'll probably say it's a little less, but yeah, I think if I had to give it, I would say four, four to four point five. It, yeah, it's not perfect. It definitely has some flaws, but it's going to be hard to make a movie of the scale and have it be great. Yeah, like amazing. And this movie is great, but I think that they there's definitely some tweaks that they could have made. And I guess you know we're gonna have to look at it as part of a whole once we see the the finale, really. Yeah, I I mean, as long like I know that there are going to be some things that are changed, as long as they don't do it in a way that doesn't make sense, then I'm all for it. I'm ready to see Endgame. Uh, we're very short distance out. I can't wait. Yes, so that's what our next episode is going to be about. Episode thirty. Yeah, is going to be about Endgame. So watch that shit so you can listen to the episode. We are releasing it. The Monday after it comes out, so be prepared. Fingers crossed. <laughs> All right, guys. So if you want to check out more, then you can visit us on our website. It's going to be at porcelainpeak.com. We have a full breakdown of most of these movies up until, I think, Civil War and everything before that. If you want to check out content of when we're going to be posting and cool pictures and shit like that, then you can visit us on any of our social medias. That's going to be at Porcelain Peak on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Probably Instagram is going to be your best bet because that's where we do most of our our posting. And if you want to shoot us an email, we would love to hear from you. Any questions, any comments, we love that kind of stuff. So that's going to be at porcelainpeak at gmail.com. And if you want to check out some of John's reviews for these movies, then you can head over to YouTube and hit up that Entertainment Vortex. Yeah. Thanos will return. (laughs) Thanos will return next week. (laughs) (laughs) And as always, thank you guys for listening. Keep it creepy.
a Hyperforge Alpha Network production.